Praise the Lord. And uh, hallelujah. Uh, I got a message for you this morning. We brought your Bible. And um, praise the Lord. And uh, let me get my um, other thing here. Nope, that's not it. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Amen. How many ready for the word this morning? Um, praise the Lord. I was going over some things. I was just uh, um, looking, and I don't know, the Lord was just speaking to me this week as I was praying and looking for some things. And um, the, the title of the message came to me first, <laughs> believe it or not. And I listened to this title, and uh, so I wrote it down, and it said, Truth Revealed, Truth Concealed. Truth, this is the title of my message this morning is Truth Revealed and Truth Concealed. And uh, I, I'm going to start off in Proverbs chapter 25. So if you brush your Bible this morning, you can read uh, verse 2. It says this in the King James Version. It says, It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is search out a matter. It says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. I mean, you know, we don't often think about this, but God conceals things. And I wanted to bring that over this morning. I also want to talk about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 4. But um, uh, So what would be something that he would conceal? I'm thinking about for my own self, you too. But what would he conceal and what would he reveal? And what does, what's the determining factor? So I'd like to talk about that this morning and see what's the determining factor. But did you ever think about God concealing truth from you? Hmm. Don't think about it. We think that God gives us everything. It's all right there. I mean, we got his book. I mean, we could sit there and we could read everything, right? How many ever read the Bible and all of a sudden they're reading and all of a sudden they, they see something else, see something else that wasn't seen before? How many ever done that? Uh, I've been doing this for 40 some years <laughs> and I, I, it happens quite a bit to me as far as, you know, man, I didn't see up there before. I start studying now. So something was concealed, it was there, but it was concealed, but all of a sudden God gives a revelation and he reveals something in the word. That's what Proverbs was saying, uh, was saying the glory, it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. Okay, but it's the honor of kings to search out a matter. So there's honor in searching out to where we hear from God. I want to talk about that this morning. I, I'll put this in my notes, let me read on my notes for just a minute. It says, God withholds truth according to the conditions of the heart. So I'm going to talk about this morning. And reveals truth according to the conditions of the heart. I'm going to say that again. God withholds truth according to the conditions of the heart, and he reveals truth according to the conditions of our heart. Because of the accountability that comes with the revelation of truth revealed, it is up to us and our willingness to obey that determines the truth that he has revealed to us. In other words, when God gives us truth or gives us a, a, a revelation, we call it sometimes a revelation, something that's been revealed. When we say that, basically God holds us accountable to that revelation. What we know is what we're accountable for. Well, if God knows that you're not serious about doing it, then he's not going to give you the accountability. So it's not his, it's not hardship, it's, it's, it's actually his mercy. Uh, as, as far as that goes. God will always give us an invitation to pursue and not to condemn. Here's another thing I, I had to learn. I didn't learn this in religion. I learned this uh, uh, the walk with the Lord. But he always gives us an opportunity to pursue him, not an opportunity to condemn us. Religion has taught me over the years when I was younger that, that well, God's just looking. You, you step out of line and, you're gonna, and, and that's it. You, you're going to bring a curse on, you're gonna, he's going to condemn you. And it was always related that God was going to condemn uh, rather than uh, he's inviting us to pursue him. So I want to talk about some of those things this morning. Is that okay? Yes. 
Praise the Lord. Get your Bible this morning. Turn to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to go uh, read a bunch of scriptures and then I'm going to uh, talk some between the scriptures. But uh, uh, I mean, no, this is, this is a, a farming analogy that Jesus gives. Jesus gets out talking about the parables, uh, about the parable of the sower. How many of you have ever read that parable? Yes, sir. And, and when he got done speaking to the crowds and speaking to the ones that were listening to him, the disciples said, Lord, uh, when they got alone with, with Jesus, the Lord, what does, what's the meaning of, of, of that parable? See, Jesus spoke in parables to reveal something, but he also spoke in parables to conceal something. And I'll talk about that. He said in Mark chapter 4, I'm with the, starting with the 10th verse, but he was alone. Uh, they rose, uh, uh, those around him with the 12, asked about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to those who are on the outside, all things come in parables. He says, then Jesus says this in verse 12, he says, so that seeing they may see not, perceiving that they in perceiving and hearing that he may hear not, understand, lest they should turn uh, and their sins be forgiven. He was just quoting Isaiah chapter 6, by the way. So he was quoting Isaiah chapter 6, 9, and 10. And he says, he says, and this makes this statement in, in verse 13. He says this, he says, and he said to them, do you not understand? He says, this parable, how then can you understand all the parables. So what Jesus was saying, he said, there's one parable about the sower. I'm going to get into it in a minute. So, so one parable about the sower, that is the key that unlocks all parables. Wow. Well, if they're so plain, how can they need to be unlocked? <laughs> because God also seals a thing, but he also reveals the, uh, the same thing. So this is what he's talking about. And uh, so uh, <clears throat> I was looking at the, at the farming analogy. I don't know if you know this about, but it was... I know it seemed like about 100 years ago now, uh, the, back in, uh, we, Diane and I lived up in Michigan. We got involved in farming, well, I did, I got involved in farming with another fellow in the church. And we got a pl plot of ground, uh, I think about 20 acres to start out with, and we were going to plow, plow the ground with a wheat. The problem was that the ground that we were getting ready to farm hadn't been touched in probably a decade or more. And if you didn't know about farming, the longer the ground sits, the harder it becomes. The longer that the ground hasn't been prepared, the harder it is to prepare the ground. Of course, we got 50-year-old uh, tractors and <laughs> broken-down equipment. We're, we're doing this part-time, you know, uh, besides working full-time jobs. And we started plowing this ground. And the uh, Lord brought this to my members the other, other day. I kind of chuckled at it. But we, we were determined. We're going to break this ground and, and, and plow this ground up. It took us, it took us, seemed like, forever to get the ground finally fit to receive the seed. When Jesus was talking about the parable, and he's talking about the parable to his disciples, he was saying, he was saying, this is, this is an analogy. The seed sown is the word of God, is what he was saying. And um, so he, said, he begins to explain this in, in, in uh, verse 14, from Mark, 14 uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 14. He said, the sower sows the word. So we know that the seeds going forth is the word of God, is what, he was, what Jesus was saying. And that these are the ones that, that, that by the wayside where the word was sown, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. I, I like this one verse. In, it, this parable can be found in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 verse 12 says, least they should believe and be saved. So basically he said the sower sows the word. 
And these are the ones by the wayside. Wayside uh, would have been hard ground. So sold them on the wayside, they didn't get a chance to root or, or take root. Satan comes immediately to take a word, away the word that was sown in their hearts. Why? That's my question. Why does Satan come so immediately? Because once the word takes root, it begins to change and transform our lives. And, of course, Satan's enemy, enemy of that doesn't want that to happen. So he comes immediately to take away the word. But I looked on this word sozo. Here's something. You've heard me say this several times in this church. The Greek word sozo, that's a, that's a Greek word, is translated in the New Testament, our word salvation. Amen? How many think you know what salvation is? I mean, you're saved. <laughs> okay, salvation. The word sozo in the Greek, though, something happened between modern definition and the actual definition of the word sozo. The word sozo in the Greek, which is the same word we use for salvation, has an expanded meaning that we've lost over the years somewhat. But sozo means to save. We got that one down. It means to deliver, to protect, heal, and preserve, and to make whole. So when we, when we accept Jesus into our life, what happens? That relationship with Christ, okay, is set to deliver us. Not only to save us, because basically we've boiled salvation down to the point where, well, when I die, I get to go to heaven. So heaven is something I go, I, I, I participate in after I die. So basically Jesus is only good until, you know, I hit the grave. Basically, until that time, I don't have anything else to do with him because I'm saved. I'm, I'm going to, 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 to heaven, so that's all that matters, right? How many have ever been taught that? <laughs> but the fact is, the word sozo, Jesus, not only are you saved, you're also made hell, healed. Uh, you're also uh, made whole again. That brings the word salvation, sozo, into the, into the here and now where we live right now, not just in the hereafter. Yes, now, it's true. It, when we die, we go to heaven. I mean... Those that die in Christ, we, we wind up in heaven. This is, this is what it means. But it also is true, equally as true, is that that word sozo also means that we're delivered, uh, that we're protected. Hallelujah. Did you ever think about your salvation being a protection of God? Amen. So when, when it says here, some seed was sown by the wayside, uh, it, where Satan comes immediately to steal out the word, he, he comes out to steal out the word. Least, what Luke says, he said, least they should believe and be saved. In other words, I'm going to take this away before we have a chance to digest this, before we have a chance to apply this to our life, before we have a chance to do anything with this. Satan says, I'm going to take this away so, so it keeps them from expanding. That tells me a couple of things. That tells me that the Word of God has power to change and transform life, number one. And that, it, that I can obtain power and change, and change ability, if I can put, say it that way, change ability to overcome anything Satan wants to bring into my life. Through that word sozo, to be saved. Praise the Lord. Amen? What we hear God say needs to be brought into practice, though. But what happens is what we hear when God says we need to bring it into practice. Let me share some things with you. Before I go on with the rest of the farming analogies, I want to share something. I, I, I did some studying. And I looked up what farming was like in Jesus' day. How many know 90% of the people that Jesus talked to were farmers? In the promised land, of course, they were, since Joshua's time, they are in the promised land. But 90% of Jesus' audience were farmers or somewhere tilled the ground and, and got so. So he used this, these analogies. They would plow the ground. So, but here's what some people don't know about ancient uh, um, 
ancient uh, farming techniques. In modern farming techniques, we got big powerful tractors, we got big steel plows, and basically we see a plot of land, we drop the plow and we, we go for it. In, Jesus, in, in Bible times, they didn't have that ability. They had wooden plows, sometimes with a bronze or steel tip on it, and they had some kind of a beast of burden, whether it was a, 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 an ox or whatever, pulled the plow. Uh, sometimes a pair of oxen. We know that um, uh, who was Elisha, he had uh, 12 yoke of oxen. That's, that's 12 pairs of oxen that he was farming fields with. But here's what a lot of people don't realize. It realized that if they took them out into the ground and just started plowing, that it would bust up the equipment and the ground would be too hard. When he talks about wayside, he's talking about ground that has been stomped down so hard that there's no way the seed to get buried into the ground. So it lays on top. And Satan comes immediately to be able to take that which lay on top. It never, it never got to heart. It never got into our soul. It never got into our, our being. It just laid on top. So what they would do in ancient times, before they plowed a field or before they sowed a field, what they would it was a, they would wait for rain. Immediately following rain, the rain would have a natural effect to soften the ground, and, and, and then they could run their plows. And, of course, they, what they would do is they would run a plow, and there would be somebody with a bag of seed, and they would sow the seed behind that. There would be places like roadways and stuff that were packed down, or there would be rocks in the way. I'm going to get that in a minute. Where there would be stony ground. And it would, it would impede the harvest because of those hard things in, our, in, 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 uh, in the field. So what they would do is they would wait for it to rain, once it rained, they could go ahead and plow the ground, and they could plant at the same time. They would plow and plant together. They didn't have a space of time like they do today. But it was, and then what he did that, then they all of a sudden you're plowing along. Oh boy, do I know what this feels like. Plowing along, all of a sudden you hit a rock. Okay, well, the rock is something that's going to impede the harvest, so we've got to get rid of that rock. How many have some rocks in their life? I, I didn't see Head, I said, like, okay, praise the Lord. Amen. And, uh, so what they would do is they would take the rocks, in ancient times, they would take the rocks and they would carry them over to the edge of the field where the crops weren't going to be. And they cast them there. So what they had when they got done is they had stone walls that divided the fields. Now, there was a purpose for that because what happens now when the rains come, the rocks that were on the edge of the field would contain the water needed to grow the plants. But when the rocks were involved in the process, it impeded the, the harvest. It didn't add to it. Amen? So this is what they did. So I'll give you that. By the way, when it rains, how many know that's synonymous in the Bible? You can look it up if you want to, Deuteronomy chapter 11. But you, it's synonymous in the Bible with God's blessing. When ancient times, when they saw it rain, that was a symbol of God's blessing. Hmm. Rain, we're blessed. It don't rain. We're going to get hungry because <laughs> it's not nothing's going to grow without the rain. So as soon as the rains, so how many know they're waiting for the rain before they could plow the fields, hit a rock, they need to cast it aside. So let me get that down first as far as uh, their farming techniques. Amen? Amen? All right. So let me say this statement again. When we hear, the, we hear God's, God say, the, what we hear God say needs to be brought into practical experience. If we don't carry out what God says, then instead of the seed going into the ground, it lies on top. Of course, the fowls of the air, uh, Jesus said, or, or, or Satan comes at me to, to take that word that is not sown. So as soon as we hear something, what do we do? We take it to heart and we begin to put it into practice. Yes, Once we put it in practice, it becomes buried. 
once it becomes buried, how many know if you take a seed, if I took a, any kind of seed uh, uh, and set it right there in a pulpit and just set it there, there's life that can, is contained in that seed. But that seed life would not be released until when? Until it's planted in the ground. Once it's planted in the ground, the soil around it, of course the water and the soil around it, releases the life that is contained in the seed. I, I was reading an article uh, quite a while ago, but uh, there's a place in Israel, there was an ancient place in Israel, and what they did they, uh, during their excavation, they were digging up and they found some fig seeds that they hadn't seen, that there was a type of a variety of fig that had gone out of existence uh, uh, thousands of years ago. And they took that seed, it was all dried, it was in a dried pot, you know, it's been there for, for, for a couple thousand years. And they took that seed and they planted it. And when they planted it and watered it, don't you know that thing cultivated and they got a, they got a fig that they haven't seen in a couple thousand years. But the life was still in, the, in that seed, it didn't go away. So it, time, uh, uh, over, over time, doesn't take the life out of the seed. Let me get back to saying the seed is the word of God. So time doesn't erase the life that's contained in the Word of God, but it takes some kind of cultivating, it takes some kind of planting for that life to come forth. It takes care. So when we hear the Word, like Jesus was saying, we hear the Word, and we take it to heart, but we do that by taking, and it has to be brought into human experience. All right? Or the life of it is laid exposed, and it's either taken away or, or, or it's missed. Help anybody this morning? All right, praise the Lord. Um, let me cover some of this and we'll get, I'll explain some more stuff. It said, and these are like the ones that are sown on stony ground. That Jesus is given another soil type, a stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. And when they have no root in themselves, so endure for a time. Okay? They endure for a time. Afterwards, when tribulation and persecution arise for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So these are people that hear the word, Okay, but it's on stony ground. In other words, it's hard. We haven't removed the rock. We haven't brought them to the edge of the field. We haven't prepared the ground. And what happens, we'll endure for a time. You notice that they, they still hear the word. They hear the word, so they, they endure for a time, but having no root. In other words, the rock will not allow the seed to put down roots. Without the root, there is no continuance of life. Continuance of life comes from the root. The root brings the nourishments out of the ground and so on and so forth. Amen? Yes. So Jesus is talking about it. He's talking in parables. So what is he talking about? He's taking what they see every single day. 90% of the people he's talking to see this every day in practice. And he's relating it to the word of God. Amen. And he says, well, he said the mystery of that, if you're not seeing what this means, he says, then basically has been hidden until which time you take it to heart and are ready to move, move and activate in it. How I many know anybody can pick up this Bible and read it? But can anybody get the truth out of it? Everybody has the potential to get the truth out of the word being sown, because it's sown. Amen? Has the potential. Providing we're ready to put it into action. If we're ready to bring that word into human experience, then God will take and expand that word and begin to reveal the truth of that word so we can walk by it. Help me by this morning? Yes, sir. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Amen. Amen. And these are likewise the sons of stony ground who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. That's church. Right? How many hear the word this morning? Immediately received it with gladness. Yeah, that's the word. Jesus said, I believe it. How many said, Jesus said, I believe it. 
And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. <laughs> okay. So he says, he says, Ansonia, but when afterwards, when tribulation, persecution arises for the work's sake, immediately they stumble. Tribulation, persecution, difficulties in life arise for the word's sake. Understand that right off the bat. Amen? We saw this in this past pandemic. Amen? What happened? Pandemic. Closed down churches all across our country, kept people out of church. And what happens now that things are opening up again at the end of the pandemic, what are we seeing? Slow to come back. Why? Because of tribulations and different things, persecutions happened during that time. And somehow it's stolen some of the part of the word out of our hearts. Fear can steal the word out of your heart faster than anything because fear works in opposition against your faith. Absolutely. Faith and fear cannot, cannot occupy the same space. Amen. All right, praise the Lord. This is good preaching. Amen. I'm, I'm going to say this this morning because I'm just here to encourage you. Your word that you receive needs obstacles. <laughs> Come on, Pastor. <laughs> Why? It was going good until you said, obstacles, it needs obstacles. That's right. Understand something about it. Obstacles give you choices. Without choices, there's no reward. God has set up a, a, a system that He's going to speak the word. You're going to believe that word and receive it in your heart, aren't you? Or you're not. Now, to keep that word, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to warfare for that word. You're going to have to push back everything that is contrary to that word and bring it into human experience. There's going to be obstacles. So what happens with the word? Uh, because of the word going forth, uh, obstacles in our life, uh, uh, life uh, come up, problems, situations. How many has ever prayed for somebody and all of a sudden they pray for somebody else and an obstacle comes in your life, just the person you're praying for? Or how about this? How about you pray for somebody and nothing happens? You ever been there? I mean, you did everything right. You, you, you followed the word. You did what Jesus said, but nothing happened. Would you call that an obstacle? <laughs> the person you're praying for would definitely call it an obstacle. I don't know what's going on here, but what, this, this is an obstacle. But you see, what happens now, it gives us a choice. That word, there's a choice to the person who's being prayed for and the person who's praying. Are you still going to believe the word? Amen. I, I said this years ago. I said, I said it. I don't believe it's going to happen to me. But I said, I said, I said, if it were to happen, I said, if for some reason I would die of some strange sickness or disease, you plant me on the ground. I said, you have my permission to carve in my tombstone. Jesus heals today because you or I are not proof of God's word. Your experience is not proof of God's word. It may be a proof of faith or lack of whatever or whatever. The obstacle could be something else, but God still heals today. I, I, I listen to pastors. I used to listen to pastors all the time, and, and he used to say, well, well, you know, God doesn't heal, doesn't do miracles today. Oh, really? What scripture did away with miracles? Can you show that to me? Because if you show me here, I have to believe it. See, this Bible is not just a book. This is... Jesus' word. This is Jesus. As we read this, we're reading about, not about Jesus, but we're reading, the Bible says in John, in John the first chapter, it says that Jesus was the word that became flesh or manifested flesh and dwells among us. Amen. This Bible, yeah, it's on printed pages, but the words in this Bible, the revelation that it contains are supernaturally inspired and, and balanced. 
still alive today from generation to generation to generation to generation. Praise the Lord. Amen? So, okay. So, here's an obstacle. Now, here's the obstacle. How are we going to believe? Man, I'm telling you, I'm not seeing answered prayer. I'm not seeing this. Okay, you're going to believe that God doesn't answer prayer anymore? Or are you going to believe that he still does? So I don't know how, but see, this, this is where the contending comes in. Now we have an option. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, you can jot this down if you want to. It says, but without faith, faith is those things that aren't seen. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And listen to this, that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Diligently seek him, not casually think, seek him, but diligently seek him. So God says, okay, here I'm giving you an option. If you come diligently seeking me, I have a reward. Hmm. Why? Because he's our heavenly father. Here's what you won't hear in a lot of places, but the, I'll, I'll tell it to you this morning. But the fact is, Jesus came, Jesus Christ came, was the manifested word of God, came, but he came to demonstrate the love of the father, the heavenly father, which we don't really hold, know a whole lot about. He, Jesus said this, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. So the things that Jesus did, the kindness that he showed, and the miracles that he did, was showing the love that he has to the Father. He chastised the disciples when they did stupid stuff or did stuff wrong, but he rewarded them when they did things right. Peter's fishing all night long. He can't catch any fish. Jesus says, listen, he says, I got a reward for you. He didn't say it that way, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But he says, he says, cash your nut on the other side. He said, and, 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 and I'm pulling, pulling a, a, a load of fish. Here's a strange one. He did that twice, by the way. This is a strange one. He says, he says, launch out into the deep. That's the real miracle because what happens is their nets only went down so far. Well, if it didn't go all the way to the bottom, the fish could escape from the bottom. He said, he said, fish out in the deep. We've been fishing all night. He said, the deep. Why should it, the nets don't go down that far? fish out into the deep. And when they obeyed the word of Christ, what, what seemed to be impossible happened. And that became the reward for the faith that trusted, trust in Jesus' word, not just what they thought as fishermen. Hmm. So guess what? It was revelation that was revealed once, once they caught the fish. It was concealed truth until Jesus mentioned it and gave it as a command. And when they followed it and saw the results, now it became the revealed word of God. Amen. Now, we can tell you right now, if Jesus tells you to launch out in deep, we don't know how it works, but launch out in the deep. Amen. He wants to give you something. Yes, if Jesus tells you to go to church, okay, he's not trying to get you to do something, to earn something in heaven. He's trying to reward you somehow. But who, where, where's the reward going to come from? The people in the world or the people in the church? The body of Christ following the commands of God or the world? Amen. You, know, you go out there, you get your own reward. You go ahead. Basically, what we need, God brings to us. What we want, we go out and get. Right? Any way we need to get it. Praise the Lord. So we work in the world. But when God comes, but in the church, what happens is God has a blessing here that we can learn about out there and we can, it, it, it can grow and blossom. Amen. No wonder Satan wants to steal the word. Because now we can build our faith coming here, doing what Jesus says, coming into a corporate setting, uh, learning about the word, and then going back out, not only now by ourselves, but with the prayer of a, of a church family behind us, praying for our Amen. success. Amen. And this church does that, by the way. This is not a religious service. That's right. 
this, this, this bears life. Now it becomes practical, and now the experience is meeting with the word that we learn. Now the experience is coming into it. Guess what? It's ours. Amen. Praise God. Praise Amen. the Lord. Help anybody this morning. Yes, now here's another one. And I kind of, in the war room, I was talking to the leadership about this one. I said, this is, the, this is one that kind of sneaks in on you. And Jesus said this, he said, he said, now these are ones that are sown amongst thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. Notice all these people hear the word. They all hear the word. There's four conditions, soil conditions, all four of them heard the word. All four heard the word, but only one heard the word. I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Did you get that? Okay, praise the Lord. He said, now these are the ones that are sown amongst thorns and are ones who hear the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. So now we have a choking effect. So what happens in a field? Well, thorns, weeds, stuff grow up in the field. What happens? It begins to crowd out and choke the harvest where you believe in the fruit. And so your harvest diminishes. Matter of fact, weeds will overpower the crop that you plant. And, and, and basically, when we were doing the wheat fields and stuff like that, we had, we had uh, different things, we were for different fertilizers. But also, we had to do weed control, cultivating, to get rid of the weeds so the weed didn't choke out the harvest. So, so we had to do weed control because it would choke it out. And I looked up this word in the Greek. Verse, verse 19, it says, in the cares uh, of, this, of this world and deceitfulness of riches and desire for other things entering and choked out the word of God. I looked up that word care. Cares means through the, the idea of distraction, anxiety, concern, and worry. I'll say it again, the word care. It says, and the cares of this world. The cares of this world. The word cares in the Greek actually means through the idea of distraction, anxiety, and concern or worries. So when we worry or distracted by other things, it begins to choke out the very word that God gives us. Help anybody this morning? Yeah. Well, my, I'm helping me. <laughs> I'll take this word if you don't want it. She's pretty good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So when we, here's the thing. How many know Jesus has given us authority? How many know that to be true? Amen. Matter of fact, he says, in my name, cast out devils. Uh, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's authority. There's authority that Jesus, he said, in my name. So the, attached to uh, the name of Jesus is the authority of Christ. So he gives, gives, us, gives us authority. However, though, when the word of God comes in and is, is choked out, okay, I lend my God-given authority to things that are inferior to God's purpose. If I worry, I'm thinking about things that are inferior to God's purpose. And when some things that I worry about that are inferior to God's purpose begin to choke out the word he's put in my heart. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen? Yes, sir. And I'll tell you one thing, being in the ministry for 30 some odd years, there's lots of opportunities to be concerned about different things that come around and worries and fears and different things. But I have to pet, I know I have to battle this all the time. I say, no, I will not. I will not. So what I do, I look back over the years uh, because Satan wants you to get you to look back and live back there. But the fact is, I'll look back and I'll say, look at all the times, instead of worrying and fear of what's going to happen in the future, which I cannot see, I can look back over our history and see what I can see. Now, I'm not living in the past. I don't, don't get the two of them mixed up. But the fact is, I can look back and look at all the times that God has seen us through. 
All the times it looks like Covenant Word Church was going to fail, but didn't. All the times Lighthouse Christian Academy was going to go down the twos, but didn't. All the things that came against over the years as attacked the ministry and so on and so forth, about this for sure. There has to be at least a dozen times in the last 30 years. <laughs> this is it. This is the big, this is going to take us out. I mean, this is it. And have to stop that thought in mid-track and say, no, it isn't. Amen. No, because I got here not because somebody hired me to do a job as a preacher. I got here because God spoke to me when I lived in Deerfield Beach and said, come here and start to work. And this is what we've done. 31 years, here we are. Well, it'll be 31 years tomorrow, actually. 31 years tomorrow, uh, we've been in Key West, and this is what we've done. Amen. And I've been a pastor of this church, and we've, we have done, we've come through all kinds of battles and all kinds of struggles. Amen? Some of you remember way back in earlier. I know uh, Jeff Rice, I think you've probably been here the longest, haven't you? Since 1990. 91? Yeah, I was only here a year. Yeah, you, you got to be the old man in a bunch. I, I mean, as far as, <laughs> but praise the Lord. So, but if you, can, if you can watch all the things that God has done to bring you through, this is how I combat worry. I don't know if that helps you or not, but I go, go back. Well, what if I didn't do what God told me to do? What if I didn't put that word in my heart? I wouldn't have had those experiences. I wouldn't have been able to see how God worked. That actually, seeing God work in areas, but difficulties brought that in. Amen. Difficulties brought in the whole thing of what, you know. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm here. Glad to hear this morning. Praise the Lord. So when I lend my God-given authority to those things, if I worry, if I fear, then I'm lending my God-given authority to the thing he's given me, the things he's told me to do, I'm lending it to something that's inferior to what God has called the purpose of my life. There's lots of things the devil will try to get us to be inferior on. Amen? Amen. But this would, praise the Lord. Amen. So anyway, so he says, he says, um, <clears throat> he says, it becomes unfruitful. And these, uh, but he says, but I like the but because this negates all the other ones. <laughs> he says, but these are the ones that sown on good ground who hear, who hear, the word, accept, delight it, and bear fruit. How many want to bear fruit? Amen. We don't know what kind of fruit you are, but <laughs> praise the Lord. Everybody, this sounds like something we need. Compared to the other three, this sounds like where I want to be. Praise the Lord. He says, bear fruit. And listen to this. They'll bear fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold return. Now, I tell you, as an old-time crop farmer, the higher the number, the better. That was more money in the bank. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, they, they would sow about, back in the ancient days, they would sow about 30 pounds of seed per acre would be how they, of any kind of crop, barley, wheat, different things, grains like that. About 30 pounds per acre. Today it's more than double that is what's being sown. When, back when I was farming, it was double that. We were about 60, 60 pounds or more uh, seed per acre. Uh, I remember picking up the seed one time. My, they used my pickup truck because I had a three-quarter ton uh, pickup truck. We went to pick up the seed because it had to be clean. There was special seed that was for planting. And um, I had put about 3,200 pounds in that three-quarter ton pickup truck of mine <laughs> and got it to the fields, and we put it onto the fields. But, uh, so, so the more seed that's planted, guess what? The more that comes back. The more seed that's heard that we can intertwine with our life the stronger we become from that word and the more it prospers us. Praise, Praise the Lord. Yeah. 
So it isn't really a, a, a it's not really an issue of faith a lot of times. It's not a, sometimes it's just an issue of, of, of listening and doing. Uh, dedicating our lives to that service or doing what God calls us to do. He said, except the bare fruit. He did 30, 60, 100 fold turn. I said, all four conditions heard the word. But somewhere along the other three, something impeded the growth of that word. We look at Christians today. I mean, it doesn't matter how many years. It's not measured in years. I don't care if you've been a Christian 30, 40 years. It doesn't matter. Uh, that, I mean, it matters. I mean, but the fact is, is that's not, the, that's not the graduating factor as far as how long you've been a Christian, how many years you've showed up. You could have been a religion that long and just show up out of duty and miss the whole point and have the cares of this world just choke out everything that Jesus was trying to deposit in that particular thing. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? But however, sown on good ground, when it's, when it's sown on good ground, now it brings a harvest. Uh, listen to what the, the word here. I want, I want to pick that word here. Verse 20 says, but these are ones sown on good ground who hear. I looked up that particular word here in the in the And do you know what, what it has to say? It has, means to attend to, to consider what, or does what has been said. In other words, it's basically something that is, is connected to the five physical senses. It is actually physically has something to connect. Amen? That's what it says. I'll, I'll read it again. It says, attend to, to consider, uh, or uh, has been said. In other words, we're going to receive, we hear, but we're going to put it in practical application. And that practical application is what makes that seed come, come to life. All four, all four groups, listen, all four groups of people heard the word, but only one heard and sur would surrender. Because what happens is in this scenario that we're given, the key thing that Jesus is trying to bring across, he says the, the soil that your seed is sown in is humility and surrender. I'm going to say it again. Humility and surrender. That's the, that's the things that were, were the key things that we're looking for. Humility and surrender. That's the soil. When a seed is put into that soil, then it brings forth, it brings forth the harvest. Are we here? Praise the Lord. Now, okay, amen. All four groups heard the word. That's what amazes me, but have we heard the word? All four groups had the opportunity to bring forth a harvest from the word being spoken. So can, would you agree with this, that there was no defect in the word whatsoever? There's no defect in the seed. So would you agree that the ground is the defective part of this whole process? Now, I've heard preachers preach on this, but I, I preach on this uh, thing a number of times. And what we do, well, we have four categories of people. I was praying this week, and it, uh, that didn't set well with me. Four categories of people. Pastoring and counseling people over the years, doing different things over the years. I realize it's not that simple. So if I pick on some of you and say, okay, you're stony ground, you're thorns, you're this, that. No, no, it doesn't fit. What I discovered, I was, I, was, I was meditating on this, I said, what Jesus is talking about, that we could have within our life all four soil in one, in one life. In other words, there's parts of our life where, hey, we're good ground. Man, sow away. We'll produce. But then there's other things that may not strike us so uh, conveniently, and then all of a sudden we become stony ground with the th or, 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 or um, we're choked out ground where the thorns and the thistles grow because we take the cares in, 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 of the world and so on and so forth. Yes, There's parts of our life. Well, the human life isn't made up of just one soil. Well, I'm good so seed. Just speak it. Uh, let me tell you something. 
I'll listen to people say, well, I'll do whatever Jesus tells me to do. How many right here sitting right now can say, I'll do whatever Jesus tells me to do? Raise your hand if you can do ever See that? Right there. But I bet you I can find several things in your life that you won't do, that Jesus could ask you to do. How do I know that? Because I said the same thing and he tested me in all those areas. <laughs> I, I was in Key West, just started the church in Key West. I was, this is back years ago. And I'm praying, I said, Lord, Lord uh, do something with me in this town. You know, and I, I truly believed that I'd be here maybe two years, three years, five at the most. I was looking at other pastors that, and, and that basically that was the track record of most pastors in Key West, three or four years and go on to go someplace else to where they can really start a church. And God had me study the history of, the, of Key West and I found out that the very first churches that were, this is a very historical town, the very first churches that were put in Key West were not any, I, I couldn't see in, in, in the history that I studied were these ministers that came to Key West to start a church, Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, Catholic Church, the Baptist Church, any churches, ever came feeling that this was a call of God. It was amazing. I never saw a town like this. Uh, but basically, they came because a group of people got together and said, we need a church in our community, and they pressured their denomination or the religion to send somebody here. So it was the pressure of the people that were sent, sent uh, ministers of Key West. And basically, uh, uh, a lot of the ministers stayed three or four years, five years maybe, and then said they, they put into their denomination or whatever it is and put in for transfer papers. You know, like you do in the military, you, you get on a base and you say, I, I don't, I don't want to be here, I'll put it for a transfer when I get enough seniority and rank and I'll, and I'll go someplace else. Well, it seemed like that was a, was, a, was a style. So here's what Key West was used to in its history. It was used to pastors coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. And I, I went to a conference, a prophetic conference one time up in uh, Christian International in Santa Rosa Beach, and, and a, a woman got up and she says, the, the, is the pastors from Key West here, uh, about 1,500 people, I, was, I raised my hand, she, she says, God has a word for you. He says, he's called you to homestead where you're at. And I remember my heart sunk. Because <laughs> the last thing I wanted to do was homestead in Key West. Matter of fact, I just wanted to put my time in like every other pastor did and get out of this place. And I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, is this serious? He says, yeah. He said, what are you going to do with it? That's the word. He said, what are you going to do with it? I said, you know, this sounds just like about you. Because basically it's the opposite of what I want to do. And back then it, was, it sounded just like God. He says, do it. He says, he says, and I found out that I'm only one of few in history of Key West that came here on purpose without the backing of a denominator, anybody's backing, came here, started the church, and been here for this long. Tell them to find out, guess what? It was God. Amen. Amen. But what happens is the human experience had to come in to play with this thing. I had to put down every thought that was beckoning me someplace else. At that time, I'd gone to, 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 uh, I'd gone to the mission field. My goodness, we've been to West Africa. We've been to uh, Chile. We've been to um, uh, Guatemala and Central America. Uh, I've been to the islands, Jamaica, uh, different things. Just uh, as a missionary, I'd leave here, off of Key West Airport, and come back. And, and God says, I'm still going to use you in an international, because he gave me an international, we're still going to use you internationally, but this is where your home base is going to be. And I had to accept that. I said, I'm going to accept this as, as, as from God. But guess what? Only until I accepted that did the authority behind that begin to rule my life. 
only until I gave into that was any change to the positive happening. Now, did, did, did that mean the devil took a vacation? Absolutely not. If anything, he fired it up. But all the more proof that God was more powerful. Here's what some people think. Can I, can I straighten out some thinking maybe? Okay. Some people think that the devil is opposite of God. That is absolutely, scripturally, in every which way, wrong. The devil doesn't even come close to God. He's the opposite of Michael the archangel, but he's not the opposite of God. He's not even in the same class as God. So to sit there and to listen to what the devil has some kind of lie for me, why would I listen to that over the one true God who he doesn't even, he doesn't even match up? Amen. He doesn't even make Michael the archangel, <laughs> let alone another God to speak into my life. Satan is not another God to speak into your life. There's one true God. And if I can hook up to that, I can overrule everything else my flesh and the devil wants me to do uh, for self-gratification. And that is what, what it, that is the warfare. The thorns and stuff that grow up, the, the, the hard ground that grows up, all has to do with that. You know, on, on hard ground, uh, the word was received readily. It was, it was, oh yeah, that's God. Oh, praise the Lord. How many of you have ever seen people, oh man, this is really God, this is God, and turn right around and go back out and do something the opposite <laughs> of what his own know. They endured for a time, but all of a sudden kind of got bored with it. Why? Because the interaction wasn't the same as what God wanted them to, to interact with. The interaction kind of fell off. There has to be that Bible experience. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can I share one more story? Yes. Amen. I, Oh, let me get this. Let me get this one first. This is important. I'll get to the other story. I got time. You okay? Yes, okay. Yes. Praise the Lord. Anyway, uh, go all, jump down from Mark four down to the twenty-fourth verse, and Jesus says something very interesting. I want to get this. I feel, I feel it's very important for us in this hour. I feel it's very important for this church. So listen to what it says here. He says, "Then he said to them, he says, take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. What do you think that means?'" Pay attention. Don't just let it go in one ear out the other. Take heed to what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. Hear what? Glad you asked the question Amen. before you even asked it. <laughs> Take heed what you hear for the same measure. Now, this is the words of Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. He said, for the same measure. Now, how many know what a measure is? Well, measure comes in two different forms. Okay? A measure can be if I have a gallon uh, a pail, I put a water and fill it to the brim. That's a gallon of water. That's, that's volume. That's a measure. Or there's also a measure that talks about quality. Correct? So you have quality, quantity and quality are both measures. But it's a given measure, whatever that measure is, whether it's a gallon, two gallons, that, uh, that would be the volume. He said, whatever measure that you use, it will be measured to you uh, and it will be given. He doesn't say if that's positive or negative. He just says a measure. Hmm. So whatever measure that I use, it'll be measured back to me. If my measure becomes worry and fear... It'll be measured back to me in worry and fear. Did you ever see anybody worry themselves out of fear? 
That's the only contradiction of terms. Do you ever see anybody worry themselves to happiness? Uh, fear, be fearful and joyful at the same time. No, one contradicts the other, but it's the measure. So what happens is when we pay attention to the inferior things of God, which I just mentioned, worry, fear, just some of them, when we pay attention to those, more attention to those inferior things than God's word and self, then that is measured back to us. But when we f switch it and we begin to pay more attention, okay, to the measure of what God has given to us, when we pay more attention to that, then more of that is given back to us. So the more we listen to the word, the more we receive the word, and the more we hear, and the more it's measured out to us, the more we attend to, the better ground we become, the better, this is what, what was Jesus saying. But that measure is important. It's the measure. Whatever measure you meet, it's going to be measured back. If I listen to this sermon that pastor's preaching, and I mark it down as the word of God, and I meditate on it, and I go over it, guess what? It'll be measured back to you again. In measure. Now, God will begin to take the barriers off the reveal, and he'll reveal what was once concealed. Right. How many has come to this church in the past few Sundays, I don't know how many minutes, and has learned something they didn't know before? Raise your hand if you learned something you didn't know before. Okay. So when you take that, which you learned and didn't know before, whatever that is, I'm learning all the time, so I don't know, but, you know. What's wrong with y'all? But <laughs> nothing. But uh, when you then it's measured back again. When we take and apply that to our life, then God takes that and measures it back again. I had, I had people, several people ask me over years, "How do you learn all this stuff?" Uh, right here, the word, and I listen to it, and I preach it out. And when I preach it out, God measures it back to me, and He gives me more, and He gives me more, and He and I, and I preach that, and I apply that to my life, and I try to practice that, and He gives me more, and He measures it out. So whatever measure I give out to the Lord, guess what? God measures it back to me, only to overflowing. If I had a bottle of water here, I don't, uh, I don't have a bottle of water. If I had a bottle of water here that was filled to the brim, is that bottle filled? If I take the cap off and the bottle is, you know the answer. So you, 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 just be quiet. <laughs> My wife, she, she knows what I'm going to say because, you know, I, I said it before. But anyway, if you have a, a full bottle of water, is that bottle scripturally, according to scripture, full? And the answer, what my wife just gave you all the answer, said no. Why? Because scriptural, it's not full until I fill the bottle of water. You, yeah, you got to, you gotta, go ahead. Come on. Boy, I caught it. Boy, I look. Uh, praise the Lord. Okay, now I need something to fill this. Is this bottle full? Praise the Lord. All right. Now it's not. Hallelujah. Is there water in here? Yes, sir. Okay. Is this bottle full? Well, I just took a sip out. Here's what the Bible says when the bottle is full. That's full. That's full. And they get a drop in my suit. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. My shoe out of Anyway, have seen lots of floods of hurricanes, so it doesn't matter. Praise the Lord. That's what the Bible calls us full here. You started this, huh? <laughs> Amen? We got the optics. We like visual aids. Here, here's a cap. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Jesus says, he who thirsts, come to me. He who is thirst, come to me. 
and out of his bellies will flow rivers of living water. So a thirst becomes a flow of abundance. Amen. We're looking for God to meet our situation. He wants to overflow us. We got the wrong measure. Amen. We need to come to Christ with the measure that he's going to measure back. No pastor starts a church in a closet. He always has a hole bigger than what he ever needs. Why? Because he's looking for the measure to be met. <laughs> Are you here? Yeah. Amen. If we're looking for blessings from God, we're not looking for a little thimbleful. We're looking for the massive blessings. I'm sharing stuff with you this morning that you can know that you can be in church for the, for the rest of your life and never learn. I was looking over to say, this, this caught my eye. Do, do I have time for one more? Okay, this, this caught my eye. How many remember uh, Philip, the evangelist Philip? This is after the, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week. But uh, this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm going to share some things. This is, this, is, this is really cool. I love this Ethiopian eunuch. For one thing, people don't realize what Ethiopian is. Matter of fact, uh, when you think of a Jew, you think of some European who's white all the time. But that's not it. It's true, but that's not what, what the Ethiopian eunuch was. The Ethiopian eunuch in the story, and uh, it's in Acts chapter 8, was a Jew, a worshiping, dedicated Jew from Ethiopia. Here's how they got there. Ethiopian Jews were from the tribe of Dan. And with the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians, some of them got together, and there was some Dan, there was some from Nepitali, and there were different tribes, and they went south. Instead of letting themselves be captive by the Babylonians, they went south and pressed south, and they began and started uh, churches or synagogues, not churches, they did synagogues in the south. So here's this eunuch, okay, who comes up. He's of royalty because basically it says he's, he was a eunuch for Candace. Candace uh, is uh, not a woman's name. It's a woman's title. Uh, Candace is a Greek word that was used to describe an Ethiopian queen because Ethiopia uses queens. Women were uh, in rule uh, in Ethiopia. Okay, of course, it wasn't Ethiopia back then. It was, it was, they call him the Ethiopian eunuch. It, it started out as, a, as, as the kingdom of Cush and later became Ethiopia. Praise the Lord. Don't, you're shaking your head. You know all this? Praise the Lord. It's your turn, almost, you're in Nigeria. But anyway, so what happened was, here's this eunuch. Now, a eunuch is a male who's been castrated, some by slavery, some by volunteering. But because he was by himself in a chariot, that describes royalty. This man was no slouch. And he's sitting there reading the book, all of a sudden, uh, or the scroll, and all of a sudden the angel talks to Philip and says, Philip, run after that guy. So Philip runs up, he catches up to the chariot, and he noticed when he gets to the chariot that the guy's reading the scripture, and the scripture he's reading is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. And it talks about Jesus being led to slaughter, as a sheep being led to slaughter for our sacrifice. Now, he just came from Jerusalem because that's where he was a worship. He just came from worship, but he's going back home and he's going down to the Gaza. And so, as a matter of fact, you know, when, when Philip was translated from that, he was taken to uh, the city now today is called uh, Ashdod. Well, I've been there several times. And, of course, he, Philip's evangelistic uh, tour was all the way up to, to Caesarea where he had a home in Caesarea. So up, going up north up the coast uh, of Israel. So he goes up to this guy, and he says, and, and, and it says in verse 29, Then the Spirit said to Philip, he says, Go near, overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading prophet Isaiah and saying, Do you understand 
This is, what, this is his opening line as an evangelist. Do you understand? Are you aware of? Can, do you have the resolve for, is what the word understand means, what you are reading? And this is what the eunuch says. He says, he says, he's, he says, how can I understand? He says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. How can, now this is, let me get back to this, to this eunuch. This guy is a dedicated Jew worshiper. He just came from the temple. He knows the Torah. He's, the fact that he had a copy of Isaiah in his chariot tells you he was rich. They didn't have Bibles back then. They passed out uh, from, from Gideon. <laughs> like in a motel or whatever. You know, they didn't have them. They were, they were scrolls. They were hand scrolled out. To have them in his possession because he's reading his chariot was a man of royalty. Even though he was a eunuch, he was under the, uh, the queen or the, the, the Candace. Uh, it, was, it was the queen of Ethiopia. So he's on her royal court. This guy is, this guy is a guy of prestige. And he says, how can I understand, Philip, whoever you are, wherever you came from, how can I understand unless I have somebody to guide me? When Philip began to share what he saw, he says, you're looking at, and begin, he started, with, I take it, he started with Isaiah 53 and said, this is the Jesus you're talking about. Isn't it amazing? They went from that and they're going along in the chariot and they're talking back and forth. All of a sudden, the eunuch looks over and he sees water. And he goes from Jesus being led to the slaughter, and he says to me, he says, can I now be forbidden of this water of baptism? And Philip says, no way. Get out. And he baptizes him. And when he dunks him in, he comes back up, and God translates him and sends him to another place, and it says the eunuch saw him no more. How can I unless somebody guides me? It was in the Torah, it was in the prophets. It explained who this Jesus was in the prophet of Isaiah. Isaiah spoke, in, in, but we don't see it until it was, has been revealed. God says, Philip, run after him, reveal this to him Amen. so he can be saved. Reveal this to him. So Philip sits down and talks to him over the same scriptures that he has, but he has now a personal relationship with Christ. So he's sharing about the personal of Christ, how he walked with Christ, how Christ was here, how he died on the cross, rose from the dead, went and was ascended to heaven. And now he says, huh, I should be baptized. Where did that come from? I should be baptized. In other words, I should be identifying with the death and the burial and the resurrection of who you just told me I'm supposed to be a part of and receive Christ on the spot. But the, but the wisdom has been says, how can I understand until somebody guides me? In other words, until somebody removes the veil, pulls it back, and something else is revealed unto me, I will never know. So he had a limited view of the very scripture, the same scripture that Philip had. But when Philip gave him the revelation, God peeled back by supernatural means and showed the eunuch what it was all about. He said, let's get baptized. And went back to that country. And well, when I studied the history of Ethiopia and the Ethiopian Jews, the Ethiopian Jews outnumbered the Christians and the Muslims. Of course, Muslims were 400 some years later, 
460-some years after that. So this is a long time. Uh, this is way before the Muslims even were in existence. But that country out, outpaced Christians and Muslims in that country. I kind of think that this, this eunuch went by and he talked to his Candace and said, this is what I learned. Uh, this guy came up to me, this Jew ran up and cut my chariot and we got baptized. And he says, all of a sudden it was revealed, it was peeled back what has been hidden for all these years. It has been peeled back and I saw it and I saw it in a personal mode. It wasn't just abstract anymore, it was personal. So God concealed it for a lot of people. The scribes and Pharisees, they, they knew the scriptures. They memorized whole books of the Bible and didn't know the books of the Bible. I mean, as far as what it was saying. And so God peeled it back. The Holy Spirit, we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit last Sunday, was, uh, was Pentecost Sunday. That the Holy Spirit peels back that veil and what was concealed is now revealed. The world can't see it. To the, to the world, the church seems ridiculous. It seems foolish. It seems uh, absurd. What, what do I need? Because basically what they see a church is religion. But they don't see the revelation that God brings when he peels back the veil and we see for what it really is. Amen? How do we get that? Glad you asked the question. We expand our measure. We expand our measure. We would tell a child, pay attention. <laughs> In other words, expand your attention span, which right now is about the size of a gnat. <laughs> right? You don't know what that means? Just ask Jennifer. She works in the, in the, in the preschool. But the fact is, amen? But the, 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 so expand. Oh, pay attention. Listen, listen, listen. That's what we tell children. Listen, listen, listen. And they don't. <laughs> but they, they will eventually. But the fact is, that's what it is. And what happens, when somebody, the eunuch said, if somebody guides me, I can understand what I'm reading. And it was guiding. So what was concealed is now revealed. The truth that was concealed was now revealed. But it wasn't revealed until the eunuch says, there's water, what's stopping me? Now it's revealed. Now coming up out of the waters of baptism, I can tell you by experience, the waters of baptism with faith, man, something else, it's just, it just, it's just magnificent. Amen. We had a guy we baptized one time. And this is a church up in Boynton Beach. I was pastoring. And uh, we went down, and he was, he was a Baptist fella. And I said, you want me? And we were having a baptism service. He said, he said I got swim trunks out of my car. He said, can I, get, can I get baptized? I said, yeah, good. Get your baptism. Get in there. And he says, I, I don't know what I, I didn't do, but God's telling me to do this. I'm going to do this. He jumps in the water, and we load him in baptism, you know, identification of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when he, of course, I taught on this for two weeks, you know, uh, what, what it was. And when it raised up, he started speaking in tongues. Amen. Then asked us what it was. <laughs> we, had ex we have people that we, we go into water baptism, we baptize, and they have some kind of physical ailment, and they come up healed. We've seen that in water baptism. Why? Because something that was hindering that healing was being concealed, but now the waters of baptism seem to be the catalyst that begin to reveal what was being concealed. And once it was revealed, it was received by faith, and the, and the manifestation came into, into being. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why do you lay hands on the sick? Because they recover? No, because Jesus said so. That's the only reason, because Jesus told us to. And we don't have the authority to change his assignment. 
whether you believe or not believe is, is irrelevant. The fact is, is we must do it and, and we have time in our services to do that. Why? Because Jesus said to do that. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Cast out devils in my name. Preach the gospel to all the nations, every living creature. Jesus said that. We don't have the authority to change that assignment. We don't. Nobody does. And if they take that authority upon themselves, then they do damage to the scripture and to the uh, kingdom of God in, in, in defacing it. Because if they stand there as a face of the kingdom, but they do not believe in miracles and do not believe in these things, then they deface that. Hallelujah. Amen. Besides shrinking their own measure to no longer be able to believe that. And what happens, the scriptures on healing in that same incidence becomes concealed. The scriptures on miracles now become concealed. One more story, and this is my last closing, I promise. How many has ever heard of something that happened back in the 1500s called the Protestant Reformation? Yes. Protestant Reformation? You've heard me teach on it. Basically, we're pro your, your three basic Protestant churches, Protestant means protester, was given a name by, given by the Catholic Church. Martin Luther was one of them that separated from the Catholic Church. He was trying to reform it, but they didn't want to reform so they separated them. Anyway, Episcopalian, Presbyterian, Church, and... and, um, and uh, um, um, Lutheran Church. <laughs> Remember, that's what I grew up in. <laughs> but anyway, those are the three main Reformation churches, one from uh, England, one from Scotland, and one from uh, Germany. The Lutheran Church was from Germany. And so, so basically, what they did is they separated themselves from the Catholic Church. They were Catholics. They came out of the Catholics. And I'm not taking sides of one or the other. It's just, it's just sharing it with the history. But what happens when they came to identity, the three pro main Protestant churches, the other ones came later after different movements. So there's more than that, just the three, but that was the three main ones. Uh, the three original ones, not the main, original, original ones. When they did that, when they came out, they did away everything that looked like Catholicism and became their own entity because they broke off from Catholicism. Well, back in that day, Catholics believed in miracles. But because Catholics believed in miracles, they would no longer identify with, a, with miracles because it was too Catholic. Except for salvation. So if you've been in some denomination churches, they say, well, the biggest miracle ever. The biggest miracle. I think any miracle is big. It goes beyond my understanding. It's got to be big. That's it. I mean, it's, it's big, no matter what. No, the biggest miracle and the best miracle is salvation. Salvation is the top of the miracles. They took away everything else, healing, uh, restoration, whatever you want to call it, uh, and, and reduced it to salvation. And ever since then, there's been, there's been others that's trying to bring, bring about what Jesus didn't say that, though. The, the Reformation was wrong in that area. Catholics were right in that area as far as believing in the supernatural because they were taking it from the Scriptures. Amen. But it was taken out by man and taken out by some denominations. Amen. Praise the Lord. But it wasn't taken out of this. Right. Well, then you get dispensationalism. I can go on and on and on because it's what I taught in college. But it, the fact is, 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 is it, well, you know, it, it, it passed away. Again, there's no scripture that says it passed away. Amen. Yes, sir. Sorry, I came out of that kind of church too. And I just couldn't find it. I looked and tried, they just couldn't find it. They couldn't find it either. Well, it's what we believe. It comes down to what we believe. Okay, what you believe, but I believe something different. I believe that God does miracles today. I believe God does healing today. I believe he's prodding us to do the same thing. Amen. I'm believing he's prom promising up. See, the thing that Christ is, uh, God is trying to lead us to, he's not trying to condemn us. He's not trying to keep something from us. He's trying to make us more Christ-like. 
to have more mercy, to have more compassion for people. And that's it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I went over my time, but praise the Lord. I want to give you some of that stuff. Praise the Lord. Amen. Oh, I, I got to stop. I got more, but I got to stop. Praise the Lord. Oh, we'll be here next Tuesday. I mean, this is a subject when, when we talk about planting God's word and God removing something. Here's the thing. A lot of people think, well, I, I, I do my duty for Christ. Stop doing your duty and be what he's called you to be. Stop doing your duty and look for your purpose. That's the best way I can help. And when he does that, that's your measure automatically expands and it'll be measured back to you again. The reason some of you aren't getting, I'm I'm, I'm surmising so you can argue with it, but I I feel a a reason a lot of Christians are cut short of their understanding of what God wants them to do and God wants them to do is because they have no intentions of changing. They think they do. They think it, but they don't. And when the opportunity comes to change, they will not. And then what happens is the revelation towards that change becomes concealed in the Word, and you'll never see it until we expand our measure. Now, when we expand our measure, yes, whatever it is, Lord, whatever it is. And, and God sees our heart, and He sees our heart is serious. He expands the revelation. He expands the things, and we begin to get more. You know what I said? I was an elder in 1983. 83, 84, I was an elder in a church. I was, I, I was a youth pastor, loved the Lord. I, also, and I looked at my pastor one day, and I, uh, just, I was watching him. I wasn't face-to-face with him. I was watching him and how people would talk about him and treat him. I said, I'm tell you one thing right now. I'm never going to be a pastor. Yeah, that's one job I'll never do. And as long as I said that and kept that, my capacity for pastoring and my heart for people began to be diminished because I saw the problems and I didn't see the other side of it. My pastor wasn't quitting. He wouldn't give it up nothing. If nothing, he got more bold. That's where I learned that from. Okay, but the fact is what? Because what happens is as long as we're fixed, no matter what obstacles, as long as we're fixed on serving God, bless God, I'm going to be the best Christian I can be. Then we expand our measure. We have a choice on our measure. God does not. Otherwise, we would be free will agents. As we expand our measure, he expands his measure to us. And we, revelation is now, that was concealed, is now revealed. So truth that was concealed is now revealed. I'm done. Praise the Lord. I'm not done, but we'll, praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you. That is the end. Amen. Put up the sign. That's the end. Not, Not really. That's the end of the live stream. Praise the Lord. Anybody came here this morning, you need prayer for any reason whatsoever. Uh, we want to lay hands on, on you for prayer. I would like to do one thing. Can I do one thing first? And this is going to be a little tricky because my, my leadership is working. I'd like to lay hands on all my leadership this morning. Can I do that? Okay. Within light of the meeting we had in the, in the war room there, I want to deposit something upon you uh, uh, that you can take home with you and, and increase your measure.